Welcome to Be That Life podcast, where real life stories of health, longevity, and success come to life. I am your host, Mary Christine, and I'm here to ignite your passion and really inspire you to create the life you've always dreamed of. Every few weeks, I will bring you extraordinary individuals who have really defied the odds, shattered barriers, and achieved greatness in their respective fields, from groundbreaking scientists to visionary entrepreneurs and even fearless athletes and relentless innovators, I will find ways to uncover the secrets behind their remarkable journeys. So whether you're seeking to optimize your well-being, unleash your inner potential, or really simply looking for that extra dose of motivation, Be That Life will be your go-to source to inspire you to shatter limitations and embrace the life you were meant to live. Now, are you ready to get inspired? I met what I call the bad egg. Threatened to kill my parents if I told him. I became really isolated and he was completely controlling me and then he started to be physically violent you as well. You get brainwashed and I'm quite of a tough cookie. Dr. Simona Labsher is one of the top globally recognized naturopaths, nutritionists, and a longevity practitioner. She is a leading expert in restoring internal imbalances with an impressive 25-year career treating thousands of individuals, some of which include royal families, celebrities which include the Kardashians, Lewis Hamilton, and Rihanna. Her accomplishments did not come without struggles and pain, and after years of horrific domestic violence in her late 20s, she ended up with anorexia and bulimia and then losing a baby. She was told that she could never get pregnant again. And it's exactly what they do as a narcissist. Groom you and then and wait until you feel safe. Then they abuse you, but then you, you just can't believe it's happening and you think it's going to shift. Globally, about one in three women have experienced physical and sexual violence in their lifetime, most often perpetrated by an intimate partner. With domestic violence being a highly underreported issue, cultural factors, fear, and social stigma often prevent survivors from coming forward and seeking help. In this chapter, Dr. Simone bears her soul, offering profound insights into the enduring struggle she faced with emotional turmoil, her perspective on relationships, and a series of shocking revelations. Thank you so much for coming on the Be That Life podcast and squeezing this in prior to you (laughs) traveling and going back to Australia. Thank you. So lovely to be here. You know, when we first met, we had like this instantaneous connection. Mm -hmm. I just felt we have been soul sisters. And you're (laughs) like a sister I've never had. Mm. So I love that. And I think a lot of the times we don't really have certain type of connections as instantaneous as ours. And so I'm so proud to call you my friend. Yeah, me too. Um, You have had a pretty colorful story. Yes. But before we dive into a lot of those extreme challenges, I really want to know who Simone is. (laughs) Like, how was your childhood? What was that like? My childhood was really lovely, actually. I've got great, lovely parents. Um, Grew up half of my life on a farm. Was competing show jumping all through primary school into high school. So I grew up with two very normal, lovely parents, self-made people worked very hard and did very well in the 80s and then went to a really good private girls school in Sydney and had a great um, high school years but in um, when I was little in primary school I was really overweight and my brother and sister were really skinny so I had great parents 
You know, my dad was diabetic. No one put two and two that I could be hypoglycemic or pre-diabetic. No one really thought about that. So I was super chubby and I was horse riding. So I was teased because he had to wear like white jodhpurs with very kind of stiff jackets and with the white jobber with the big muffin top. So everyone used to tease me about being really chubby. And then I got into high school and I just got sick of being teased. So I just stopped eating. I didn't really, I wasn't anorexic in my high school. I was just became really thin. I got my braces off and then I became thin. Then you get addicted to the approval addiction of everyone saying, oh my gosh, you know, you're no longer a whale and you were so gorgeous or whatever. So yes, I had a great childhood, great parents, but I think from that um, my, my own body image and my self-image was really low. And then even though you get skinny and then you feel it's better, it's not really because deep down that's that little chubby girl is still inside and she's still suffering. Okay. Um, what age were you when that uh, happened in terms of like wanting to, you know, control your weight, lose the weight? Yeah, I was, it was summer holidays and I was 13 going to turn 14. So it was year seven to year eight. And over one Christmas holiday, I got a gym membership. So I was still horse riding all the time, but that didn't seem to do it. But then I think, obviously, when you stop eating and then you only have the one meal that your mother cooks you in the day because you can manoeuvre the rest of the meals, can't you? You can kind of sneak around. And so then over a three-month period, I lost like 20 kilos and went back to high school. All of a sudden, braces were off, lost heaps of weight. And uh, I suppose that's where the approval addiction starts because then you feel that people only really love you if you look like, look a certain way absolutely i think a lot of women have experienced that mm. um not just today in this day and age but for decades it's been yeah. happening right for sure. and uh for me my own personal experiences really feel so close to home to yours mm. because i've really experienced a lot of the challenges that you've gone through and when we dive deep into talking about it a little bit more i know our listeners will feel and resonate with a lot of the things mm. that you're about to say. Now, um, we did touch a point on trauma. Yes. And how that basically impacted your life. Not from childhood, but basically when you turned an adult and you became yeah. involved in various different relationships. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I didn't have many. I haven't, you know, my husband's my eighth boyfriend. So I haven't, didn't have that many boyfriends. I had kind of long-term, had lovely first boyfriend childhood sweetheart in high school and then had another really lovely boyfriend it's probably not even eight it's probably less than that but I can think of two really lovely boyfriends so I had those two boyfriends who were really sweet and then when I was 22 I met what I call the bad egg so I'd always had well I'd had those two boyfriends two three four five yeah I think actually my husband's like my fifth boyfriend so anyway I have never had many boyfriends before I met the bad egg I had two really lovely boyfriends. Um, so, but I think from my own lack of self-esteem and self-worth, that when I started dating this, well, to be fair, when I started dating this guy, he was really sweet the first three years. That's the pickle because you have three amazing years together. Then he proposed, we got engaged, we moved in together, and then everything changed. And when you've already had three amazing years, you're like, is this a blip? Surely, and it's a slow fade. Um, my husband often refers to it as it's like a leaking tap. So from a bit of, um, you know, verbal abuse to a bit of a push to being very controlling and a lot of my friends breaking away, over the next two years, I became really isolated and he was completely controlling me and then he started to be physically violent as well. But then by the time you get four years into a relationship, so things went a bit pear-shaped for a year and then he gets violent, 
you kind of make excuses and you think this can't this 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 can't really be happening and because he threatened to kill my parents if I told anybody so uh, you get brainwashed and I'm quite of a tough cookie so I look back and I think gosh he really groomed me into that and we do a lot of work now with um, charity work with human trafficking and it's exactly what they do as a narcissist you know they groom you and then and wait until you feel safe then they abuse you but then you you just can't believe it's happening and you think it's going to shift so you stick with it yeah it's it's really dark actually but at the same time taking a step back into what you spoke about with your childhood being absolutely incredible where do you think the tipping point was in your life where you felt that feeling of inadequacy that you needed to be in a relationship that didn't provide for you what you knew you deserved on the inside? Yeah. Because you didn't have that in your childhood, but there were certain parts it was in your adult life that kind of created that switch. Mm. What was it for you? I definitely think being teased a lot for being overweight and then becoming skinny, but that's like the fruit, not the root. So I did the superficial change, and then everyone says, oh, my gosh, you know, you're so gorgeous, blah, blah, blah. But deep down, you never dealt with that root. So it's still inside of you, whether you're size 8 or size 20. So that core belief of you not being good enough, not being lovable unless you're perfect... And all of that perfectionism comes in. And then when someone starts abusing you, it was almost like a relief. Like, I knew I was bad. I knew I wasn't as good as everybody else said. I knew, so he's seeing the real me. And I, I deserve to be punished because I'm not good enough. It's, it's really, um, yeah, it's really dark pathology where someone can really twist your brain but the root was already there even though I wasn't abused as a child the root was there and then that was able to take hold and then it kind of allowed him for the abuse but it did come to a push came to shove I suppose when I cut a long story short but uh, I was speaking to a friend dear friend of mine we're still great friends and uh, he said to me he, he basically read me the right act he just said you need to give yourself an uppercut and you need to sort your life out. You need to escape this country and you need to get out of this town now. And so I went over to London, because I'm half English, half Aussie, went over to London to, um, to christen my goddaughter, my, my brother's daughter, and I had the courage to hold my, my brother. And he's like, you've got four weeks to t- rent out your house, hand in your notice at the hospital and get your butt back here. And if you're not, I'm coming for you. He had had two young babies and his wife, and he's like, I'm telling mum and dad, I'm not waiting for you to tell them, I'm blowing the whistle, and I'm going to make sure they pick you up from the airport, and they, you know, even if the house isn't rented out, and I, while I was there, back on the old Yahoo emails, you know, it was a hotmail or something I had, like old dinosaurs, and he's like, put in your resignation to the hospital, so I did it with him, and then I came back within, within four weeks, I'd moved to London, which was, saved my life, was the best thing I ever did. You know, that's so impactful, the fact that you're even talking about this, being able to share about this right now. Mm. But from a standpoint of this goes back to what you experienced as a child and the fact that we don't heal from a lot of the traumas that we experience as children yes, and how we end up taking that over to our adult life. Completely. Uh, we become adults. We have relationships. We become parents. We move that over to our children, to our husband, <laughs> to our wives. Yeah. And I feel... Because of this impact that we 
haven't healed for various different reasons, we end up in many varieties of toxic relationships that also impact us, not just from um, an emotional standpoint, but also our physical health. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the connection between trauma, not healing from that, Mm. and how that has impacted your physical health. Yeah, so anorexia was kind of easier because then my really strong perfectionist, which came in, it was just easier not to eat. And then I went to university and I did my first Bachelor of Science in Nutrition degree. And then I graduated and I thought... And then I, I was only working for a year, then I escaped to London. And I thought, I can't... I can't... I was working part-time. And I thought, I can't really go to work and authentically put my hand up and help someone with their nutrition if I'm starving myself. And now I was entering into bulimia totally. because I... Because I was trying to eat and then I had the feeling of being too full and I couldn't stand it. It was freaking me out. Then I have to make myself sick. So even if I hadn't planned a binge, I did in the future, and even a lot of my patients, where you plan it, you completely know going in, you're going to eat all the pizza and all the ice cream and then you know you're going to purge. When I first started trying to eat, I was just trying to eat, but I couldn't stand that feeling of being too full. So then you, that's when I decided that I would, um, after my friends told me I need to give myself an uppercut, so I did that and I left Australia and I, you know, pulled myself out of it. And then I literally called myself into my office and sat my butt down and thought, if you were a patient of mine, what would I do? Right. So I had to really just put my practitioner hat on and I'm like, I've just finished my first degree for three years. I think I should be able to know how to treat this case history. So I distanced myself from that and then I literally developed my, we often call the Laubscher method, is my seven pillars. So I just had to take a step back because it was impacting my health. My weight was up and down. So then that was freaking me out because I had the strong perfectionist. I'm only lovable if I'm skinny, blah, blah, all those limiting beliefs. So impacted my oh, and of course I was never getting married. I would not go any dates. I was in Africa and Mozambique and Uganda and visiting all of our sponsored children and HIV orphans and in India. You know, I was just running from myself and I couldn't even have a massage. I couldn't have anyone touch me. So it impacted me socially. It impacted me emotionally. You know, I was and I felt bad even at the clinic that I first started working at Third Space Medicine London. It was owned by Joel Cabri, great space, uh, right in Piccadilly Circus. That um, I was working there, and it's not until I got healed a few years later that my secretary, my actually our manager, said, and I said, "Good morning, Pia." She said, "You know my name?" I said, "Yeah." And she said, "You know, for the first last two years, I've worked here, and you've never greeted me." You've never said good morning. You'd never said my name to any of my team. I was a complete bulldozer. I was like on a mission, save the planet, save the children. I didn't have, my people skills were really poor. I was just quite arrogant, it seemed, to, like to the team. They were a bit like, like no one really communicated with me because I was in, I treat my patients, I go to the gym, I come out, I fly to Africa, I go here. I was just on a mission and I wasn't a very nice person. I wasn't mean, but I was just completely focused on my mission of what, what I was here on the, on the planet to do. So, so to answer your question, it affected me on every single level. Uh, and then as I said, I developed my seven pillars based on, okay, taking a step back, what areas of my life need to be in balance so I can get well? I like that, the fact that you said that these seven pillars are basically what helped you change too. 
Yeah. Because in many ways, whenever I speak to people about my own personal trauma, mm. and I feel when I've worked with different people and the magnitude of their problems, I look back at it upon, and upon it and I think, like, my problems are not as bad as so many other people out there who deal with so many other way more devastating issues. And I feel like I've taken a step back a lot of the times, and mm. that really helps me contemplate yeah. with where I am in my life, the impact I want to create, how helping heal other people has helped me heal. So I've looked at it from a different perspective yeah. than because I was not able to address it. Usually when we're facing with trauma, mm. it's always in our subconscious. We, yeah. we, we black that out because it's, it's a pain that we no longer want to feel. Yes. But then when certain people that are surrounded in our, in our community or people mm. that we want to treat and help, it kind of like gives us a, a signal or a jolt in like, hey, you experienced something similar. Mm. It kind of comes back into your memory. Yes. Like you experienced that too. And how crazy that was for you at that time. Mm. So I do believe that in many ways, what we go through in our lives and how we help impact other people helps us on our healing journey too. Yes. Now, breast cancer. It's a topic that is spoken about all the time in many parts of the world. This region, mainly because there's a lack of awareness in it. It is one of the most common diagnosed cancers for women. Yes. In 2020, over 2.3 million women are diagnosed with breast cancer globally. Yeah. Now I believe that you went to a similar experience, and I would love for you to talk about your journey, how it started, how you helped yourself heal from that. Yeah, it's um, every single disease has an emotional root. And for what I've seen, then doing my master's and my PhD, uh, I feel, yes, the world's more chemical. Yes, we're infested by hormones, pesticides, antibiotics in our food. Absolutely. But I think on the other side of the coin, a lot of women have self-loathing and they don't like their bodies. Example, I used to have huge breasts. I suppose after breastfeeding, I've had a breast reduction now. It's the best thing I ever did. But I was always like, oh, my breasts, my breasts, they're so huge. You know, the rest of me was quite small and it always made me feel really self-conscious. So I was always really critical. My sister has huge breasts. My mum has, they've all had breast reductions. So um, so I know for a fact that, yes, I had the domestic violence and, yes, I had the, the limiting belief that I wasn't good enough. But I know also from being overweight had body dysmorphia. Even when I got skinny, I still felt really fat. I saw myself as being really fat. I'd say, oh, I'm wearing a size 8 or a size 10 or, you know, small clothing, but my brain hadn't caught up. So I think combination of, yes, the trauma as a child and the domestic violence. And, and I often used to joke, I met my husband and I entered into the marriage with seven DHL trucks of trauma. <laughs> and he's such a sweet guy. He entered into the, into the marriage with an overnight bag, you know, with a few pieces, but not quite the same as me. So, um, so when, so coming out of that abusive relationship, I lost a baby quite violently coming out of that relationship as well. So I was told I wouldn't have children. So then went on the fertility journey with my husband, didn't end up having any IVF. We had three children in the end naturally, so I specialise in fertility. Uh, so that was great. I had the babies, but I think of obviously, you know, gaining 15, 20 kilos with each baby freaks you out. So I think by the time the breast cancer came, I knew I had trauma I hadn't dealt with, but I also knew 
that I had been, my inner critic had been pretty damn harsh. So, yes, environment. But for me, I had, you know, out of my seven pillars, the one pillar that wasn't really in balance was my mindfulness. I was still a bit of a workaholic. I was still, you know, I had a husband, had three kids. Everything was great, had a great business. But I was still disconnected from me. I'd found God, source, whatever you want to call it. So I had a spiritual life now. But I wasn't really, hadn't really come home. And I, the trauma was still there and I was still broken inside. Even though everything seemed to be great in my life, I just didn't think about it. I was in denial. My life was good. I moved to London, finished that, and I just, you know, what do they say? Suck it up, princess. Suck it up and get on with it. I can either sit here, become an addict, fall apart, or I can crack on and run hard and do what I'm meant to do on the planet. So I didn't not think about it on purpose but then when the breast cancer came after doing so much other work which said so the breast cancer came eight years ago when I was when, here in Abu Dhabi then I was like oh right yes I'm eating clean I'm exercising I'm no longer a lab rat El McPherson called me when we first became business partners running on a treadmill like a lab rat I started getting back into nature you know so oh yeah oh, oh the trucks the DHL trucks I forgot right. about the trucks Okay, let's roll up our sleeves and deal with the truck. So it was just, so as I said, when the breast cancer came, it made complete sense because I'd, inner critic was savage, very critical, strong perfectionist, had always not liked my breasts. They're so big, I'm so embarrassed, always wearing things like that, always pashminas. Um, so I never liked my breasts. I wasn't happy with them. Uh, I had the breast reduction, fantastic, but I still I felt better about myself, but it made sense. I know it doesn't, I don't know, but it does make sense. But to me, when the cancer came, I'm like, oh, the trauma. And I can see that I really disrespected my body. I've never liked my breasts. Oh, okay. Now time to get Talk back. to me about the day that you, you discovered it. Well, I had a breast lump and I'd had a breast reduction. So my breasts can be quite fibrous. Was it right away that you felt that after the breast reduction? Oh, or no, did it take years. time? Um, no, so it was nothing to do with the breast reduction. I had the breast reduction when I was still living in London. And then about three years later, right-hand side, Chinese medicine, we always say right is male, left is female. So right-hand side, directly linked to, I had my jaw dislocated many times. So here, right here on the right of my nipples, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that all lines up because he'd normally smash me this side, I don't know why. Three missing teeth, so smashing this side, two teeth, that tooth, so three three, uh, fake teeth now. So... um, so I got the lump and as I said, I didn't panic because I've been treating patients with cancer for most of my career. I knew there was an emotional route. I knew I needed, I knew I needed to do, I had my protocols. You know, I've only lost three patients in my whole 25-year career um, and both of those three patients had, you know, stage three, stage four cancers. So, you know, so I, um, I wasn't really fearful. I was like, okay. And one of my best friends said, well... If anyone can sort this out, she's like, put your protocols to work. And I'm like, absolutely. So it was like, okay, I don't need to do. And I saw my oncologist, she said, I told you the other day, she patted me. Uh, and she said, see you after the summer holidays in September. I'll do surgery, chemo, radio. And I'm like, ah, oh, give me 100 days and I'll probably be gone. And she patted me. She said, oh, yes, yes. See you in September. Rolled her eyes at me, came back, the lump had gone. She was like, What? I made okay, a mistake. so you didn't go through chemo, didn't do radiation. No, I didn't need to. You did to. your own protocols and it worked. Yeah. 
that is phenomenal. But many of my case patients do chemo, radio, or not. Like I, I go in and whatever is your decision where you have peace, what you feel the treatment you should be doing, I come alongside the patient. My story is everyone else's story. I had by then about 20 years up my sleeve of doing this in clinical practice. So I came from a very different space to someone else who gets diagnosed and doesn't know anything about the cancer journey. So I could afford to. But I also said, look, I'll give it 100 days. Um, if the lump is still there, surgery for sure. I didn't feel I would do chemo and radio only because I had such a huge, what I call my wellness buffet. I had so much access to everything and anything. So I just didn't think that I would need that only because of my tried and tested protocols. I love that. But so many other of my patients, even the girl Karen Hockney, amazing journalist who introduced me to Elle McPherson years ago, great girl, I helped her on the cancer journey. She did chemo and radio. Now she's fabulous. But uh, whatever journey you choose, I simply run alongside with my protocols to make sure that the chemo doesn't hurt the patient because the chemo is like a dumb drug. Right. It kills the good, the bad and the ugly. It does, yes. So if someone wants to choose chemo, Absolutely. That is their choice. And I will run my protocols alongside wherever they choose, whatever protocol they choose or road to go down, then I always come alongside. But we're not here to say no to chemo, no to surgery. It has to be the patient's individual choice. And then they can choose what degree of complementary therapy they want as well. That's incredible. I'm blown away. (laughs) If you manage to heal that on your own, that's incredible. But just for our listeners, I think it's important to know as well, what stage were you when you found that? And what were your actual protocols that helped you heal? Uh, well, it was stage two when she first looked and I had all the testing. But when uh, when I then I flew to America, so coincidentally, which I think there are none. So when I got diagnosed as well, I was off. I was through. I, so I got diagnosed and then I knew in two to three weeks later, I was flying to the U.S., to go and pick up some machines and some other a rife machine and some other equipment for a patient that had cancer in, in Abu Dhabi. And I was going off to meet my two mentors who were in their 70s, who are most amazing guys on the planet, who I don't even know if they've had anyone die under their wing. Um, and I knew I was going there to this conference. I was going to meet my two mentors. I even found today I was going through lots of my storage things because temporarily we're in Australia at the moment we've got our whole life in storage here and I was going through some paperwork and things to find for various things we needed for my husband and I found my thermography report okay from back then that must have been like crazy flashbacks yeah and it was so <laughs> great and I'll send you some photos when I get back and it sure. showed the breast and it showed a secondary marker in my colon and all the different hot spots in my body and so I went so I went there I had the thermography, which is a heat-based camera because we know active cancer cells throw off a lot of heat. And that's way more advanced than a mammogram because it looks at you systemically. So, of course, I had the mammogram, but I, I'm fairly on top. So I went to the US, had the thermography. You, then you stand in your knickers and then you do a cold challenge because if you stand in a freezing room and those hot spots don't cool, then we know it's active cancer. So I did all that and I found all the report today. And then, um, and then I... D- Consequently, did the thermography three months later, again, when I was back in London. But, yeah, it showed the map, showed where the hotspots were. There was ganglia hotspots in my teeth, my jaw, my, my gar. I had uh, ozone injections in my ganglia in here. Uh, all for these meridians, for the breast. Oh, I did rife machines. I did primal scream therapy, CBD. I mean, I, I 
jumped in the deep end. I, the whole buffet that I offer to my patients for emotional healing, we did biofeedback with Alzito, voice mapping, conscious to subconscious rewiring, everything that I did, I just literally treated myself as a patient. So I had my two amazing mentors. So they're like, okay, this is where we're going to go. I also pulled myself into my office. I developed my own naturopathic urine test. So I did that. I was monitoring myself to see where I was at. So, yeah, once again, like when I came out of the domestic violence, I had the indisorders, I pulled myself into my office and I thought, what would I do if you were my patient? And then all these years later, same thing with the infertility and then with the breast cancer, I just, I just, I just took the emotion out of it and looked at it as a scientist, rolled up my sleeves and said, what do we need to do? Talk to me a little bit about some of the technologies. You, you talked about face mapping, voice mapping. Yes, yeah, so there's a device we use. Um, it's a biofeedback system. And you can use the biofeedback to look at what's happening physiologically in the body with all the 11 systems. And then it has a, has a, uh, a component of the device with the online um, the app or the software that goes with it which also includes voice mapping. So with the voice mapping, we can tell, it's almost like a lie detector test, we can tell if you're, tell, if you're saying a true or a, or a false statement. So I deserve to be well. Da-da. No, I don't. I deserve to die. I deserve to be healed. Negative. I deserve to be loved. Negative. That's des- pretty interesting. I never heard of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll have to scan you. So it's, yeah, because it doesn't make any sense. Of course I wanted to live. I had a young family. I had a lovely husband now after having the bad egg. You know, I had a lot to live for. I loved my work. I still love my work. Everyone like, oh, you still treat patients? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Yes, I make sure I have X amount of hours per week because it's why I'm on the planet. It's Absolutely. Just, I sometimes get off, off, off a call on a Zoom and I skip through the house because I'm just like, wow, that patient's doing so well, or it's a new patient, and I'm like, oh, we cracked a few codes today. Oh, my gosh, already they burst into tears, and they're doing so great. So, um, yes, so with the voice mapping, it doesn't make sense. I don't even know. When I go up to heaven one day, I'll ask the question, why do they have to be so complicated? Why do we have to have the subconscious laid down when we were children? Why do we have to have the conscious brain? Why are they not connected, and why is that making us sick? I don't understand the why. As a scientist, I understand how to rewire and refire neuroplasticity to rewire the brain. And then even married in with the voice mapping so you know the limiting beliefs. And then I do trauma work now, which I just developed in our wellness retreats. And from the research I've done, because I'm doing another PhD at the moment in, in neuroscience with my hubby as a hobby, and because we're geeks. <laughs> and so we're, we go back over the timeline because I had this revelation with the eating disorders and I had I kept on always thinking, my life would be perfect if you had the girl who wanted to binge. Everyone would be perfect if it wasn't for you, you know. Then I realised oh, nothing is going to be gained. We're trying to kill her off and actually I like her. Like we went dancing on the weekend. Well, I did more dancing. You, you did more chatting. That was but a lot <laughs> of fun. That was a lot of fun. So, you know, I'm always 51 but I can still, you know, dance the night away. You have insane amount of energy. <laughs> I want whatever you're on. <laughs> I already gave you my goodie bag, my <laughs> of supplements the other day. And that's actually also why I started to formulate because 
I couldn't find the supplements that I needed to get well. I didn't, as a nutritionist, think, I'm going to now produce a supplement line and uh, add that to my repertoire and make some money. Not at all. I was suffering and I couldn't get well. I, supplements were synthetic back in London, still are around the world. I couldn't find what I needed or I could find the individual ingredients and I was taking handfuls of pills every day and I got pill fatigue. It's like, how many handfuls can someone take? And that's the only reason why I invented Rejuve Wellness, my supplement line to heal myself and to heal others. Over my clinical practice, I've developed 35 different products now, and then I did specific ones for fertility. Of course, I did specific ones for cancer or disease. And I mean, often most diseases, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, it's the same root but different fruit. It's just there's an emotional block, there's an imbalance in the body, the body can't methylate, it can't detox, and it can't detox the emotions. Ah, so go back to the seven areas. Get those seven areas into balance and the body will do an amazing job at healing itself. Right. Even when I said to my doctor in Abu Dhabi, Royal and MC Hospital, she's so sweet, and I said to her, my body made this tumour. It drove down the street and it's hit a cul-de-sac, we call it in England, like a dead end. Yeah. So why don't you think my, 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 uh, my body is clever enough to... Re- don't you have reverse in your car? Yes. Well, why can't I just reverse out of that same street? If my body is clever enough to make it, it's clever enough to break it. Absolutely. Why Why we is are, that not... We are self-healing. We were wired to be well. So I thought, okay, let's go on the journey. I've helped other people do it. Let's simply unpack the reasons why my body felt um, the tumour should be there. And, you know, my mum's had cancer a couple of times. The first time we healed her physically, she never dealt with her trauma as a child and so it came back and she had the aha moment. I'm like, mummy, you didn't deal with the abuse from your stepfather. Oh, right, that's a thing? Okay, yeah, mama, it's a thing. So we dealt with the trauma and then the cancer never came back. So, And my mum said to me, cancer is a wonderful servant but a horrible master. That's a good line. If you Very let true. any well issue, said. trauma, anorexia, bulimia, infertility, any issue that you're facing, if you will listen and let it teach you, don't be in fear and let it be your master because it will take you down. But if you go, okay, I'm listening. I haven't been listening and I'm sorry. I love that Ho'oponopono prayer. I'm sorry. Yeah. Forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And if you come back home and you actually then pick up all your broken bits, go over your timeline, you know, that trauma, trauma work with that patients. I picked up my the trauma, the girl with the infertility, and it was that spoken over me, you'll never have children. Then I picked up the one for the abuse in my 20s, and then I, I picked up the messy girl in London in her 30s. She was a bit of a mess. And then I picked up my 20s, and then went back and picked up the 13-year-old, then the 8, 9-year-old, who was a really overweight one. And I went back, and I brought them all home, you know, and brought all that, because the best version of you is coming home not some best version of me in the sky the sky <laughs> where's here she's here you know yeah, totally. we just need to stop comparing don't look to the left or the right we our destiny and my mum also said is here i can fulfill it i can part fulfill it i can dip my big toe in nobody really cares it's mine it's god-given destiny it's up to me to do whatever i want with it and to look to the left or right no one can steal it it's here And I can either choose to embrace it or do some of it or none of it. So I think, yeah, like any horrible situation, what is it? I turn my mess into a message because you're able to take a step back. What do I need to learn? That was pretty horrible. Like my kids will never go through that. 
my kids will never have the eating disorders. I, I'm like, I break those generational curses, whether you want to call it family or it doesn't matter how you, how you label it. But we can just take a step back and get the seven areas in balance. We can look to see what whole food plant-based supplements we need, not synthetic. Make sure our body has the tools and it will do an amazing job to heal anything. I believe anything. When you say that our mess is a message, I think that is really impactful. The fact that our mess is a message, but a lot of people don't listen. Mm. I think we spend all of our lives not listening (laughs) until we become really sick. But there are little messengers along the way that basically give us that nudge and tell us there's something wrong. Mm. It's time to fix me, help me, sort it out. But we get too caught up in life's challenges, struggles, that we just forget to listen. And Mm. I think the one uh, message that I'd like to give our listeners today from what you just said is that learn to listen. Yeah, because, you know, there's there's a whisper and then there's a shout. Right. You might have gut problems, you might have blood sugar regularities, you might be have wind, bloating, constipation, something as simple as that. You might have a bit of secret eating, there's no off switch. So you might have a poor immune system, people with long COVID now. I mean, listen, they... It's like, unfortunately, with us, like your car has little warning lights on the dashboard. If we listen to these actually smaller things, like I've got so many people now, oh, I can't drink alcohol, I get the worst hangovers. I'm like, I'm not saying you should drink, but I never get a hangover. Yeah, we spoke about that the other day. You never get a hangover. I don't get hangovers. No, I know how to methylate. I take my liver herbs. I don't go out that much. I think the last time I went out with the girls, oh, I saw my girls in Abu Dhabi, but before that, it's been at least a year maybe longer um so uh, i don't have to shank from the chandeliers but if i want to go out and have a nice time i mean i shouldn't have to be feeling toxic you know like if you you should be able to eat on weekends pizza and ice cream and enjoy myself totally. i'm all about that i'm all about that yeah why are we all living on lettuce fish and lettuce <laughs> i mean what's the joint that i mean god bless the vegans but oh i can't be vegan either it's amazing <laughs> I just, I cured myself of my thyroid, so I can't be vegan. I need at least some fish. I don't take thyroxine anymore. So, which they also say can never be happen. You'll be on thyroxine for the rest of your days. Right, I've worked with people that basically just stop taking medication completely. So I think there there, there are ways to heal, but the opportunity. Slowly, slowly, you put the herbs in, you run alongside the drug. If it's, if you're with a really good doctor, great. Do it wisely. Do it with your practitioner or a medical doctor, or particularly if it's an antidepressant or something like that. Do it properly. Wean down. Change the, you know, balance your seven pillars. It can be done. Be wise, but it can be done. The problem I think today as well is that we are so programmed into thinking that pharmaceutical drugs and the hospital and the clinics are our only solution to heal. But because we've been programmed like that, we're so challenged as a society because there isn't any other norm than that. Mm. And here we are as advocates promoting something different when what we're promoting today is just lost in translation of what used to be decades, centuries ago. So it's really just reminding people that your first protocol and first Mm. call to action is really trying to figure out something that isn't the norm today, which is going to get it from a pharmaceutical drugs or the first yeah. the first intervention is a surgery, right? Yeah, I mean, and just empowering people to take control of their health again instead of always waiting for a pill. Right. I mean, 
It's only like for us. We do the seven pillars. I, mean, I always go back to it because it, it saved my life. It I did. often call it the habits that saved my life. Going back and getting that my house in order. Then I ha- then I needed some thyroid medication later on, and that's also a blockage with having no voice as well. There's an energetic component to thyroid as well as um, the physiological. So, but I think um, you know, sometimes the seven is overwhelming. So even for me, like a lot of people say, how can we give all this free stuff? I'm like, because I can't stand suffering. I've been in a bad, difficult, dark nights of the soul. I've walked through the valley of death. So, and there's only so many patients I can treat. So with our seven pillars on our website on rejuve.co.uk, you can actually go, do the free quiz, and it'll tell you your top three areas to start with. Why do we do that? I said, because I hate suffering. I don't, I've got enough patience. Like, I don't need to be – I just think oh, – I think it just bugs me that everyone's – it's always an exchange, or I hear in the UAE people get paid to promote things like a nutrition supplement. Totally, like, totally right. Oh, it just doesn't smell right. Like, if you take it, you believe in it, you promote it. You shouldn't be paying – particularly if it's medicine or vitamins. I'm like, totally. you shouldn't be paying people to say this works because someone could take it and they could actually get hurt. Absolutely. Anyway. That's why I feel like at the it's end of the annoying. day – being a part of social media and a platform like that mm. uh, as influencers, wherever we are in our health journeys, whatever we do in general as we go, we are all influencing. Yeah. And it's your responsibility to go and promote the right thing opposed to what can I take out of this? Yeah. It's right? Just... So it's just about like where are you? What are your values? What are your ethics? Where do you, what, what kind of influence you want to create in the world? And, mm. and because there's just so many people doing what you said, promoting things they shouldn't promote for the sake of whatever hidden intentions they have for themselves to get back at that, isn't responsible influencing. And it's totally tarnished. That's a great phrase. I don't think it it's, exists. I think we, totally, you can coin the phrase. I mean, Totally tarnishing what it is for the other people who are advocates for real change yeah. and, and real, real impact. Yeah. Right. So we're put on the side because of all of these other people who are trying to promote false claims, yeah. which I think is really wrong. If there was one tip that you can give to our listeners today or women who are currently going through breast cancer, yeah. what is that one tip that they can take away from you today and implement it into their lives right at this very moment? I'd probably have to say two. <laughs> Let's go for two. <laughs> Only because it's all about the mind-body balance. And I think a really easy thing you can do straight away because inflammation is the root of all disease. So number one, you could choose to add into your life a super greens powder or some capsules and that would be a great start to start to mop up the um, inflammation the inflammation and the acidic overflow. So that you could do, you know, we have our Rejuve Super Greens powder, you can buy another product, you don't have to buy our things, but, you know, you could start with that. And that's really accessible, not expensive, Quick and easy. If you really can't stand super greens, I mean, ours, I don't know if you tried ours yet, but it's not vile. We made sure it was tasty. I tried it. It's yummy. (laughs) Uh, Or capsules if it's just too hard. So that for that. But then I think you also need to get your head in the game. The more your inner critic is tearing you down, the more you really don't believe you deserve to be well. All that inner talk. And I think we always teach our patients to learn to purr whereby you hear the inner critic, either it's a, some plonker in your life who annoys you externally or internally the inner critic. You simply hear that plonker at 4 o'clock, when, you know, meeting at 4 o'clock, you've got the plonker, or you've got the uh, inner critic. Be mindful of that. Just simply pause, use your breath, exhale, 
and respond. And how do you respond? Choose a good friend friendship. So, for example, I could say um, that we could, um, you know, you hear the, you hear the err, and I think, what would Mary say to me right now? She would not say, you're fat, you're ugly, you're this, you're that, you're a bad mother. She'd say, you're amazing, you're conquering, you're doing, you know, like, she, you'd be, like we would, don't even know each other that well, but for sure, if you came to me, on. we would cheer each other on. So instead of thinking, self-love, okay, I better book a facial, better book a mani and petty, what does self-love look like? No, just think about someone you love, and think about someone who is for you, and replace that conversation with um, the existing blueprint of a friend who you love. Yeah, manis and petties have a facial. Absolutely. Take time for you and do self-care. All for it. But just start to speak to yourself like you would your best friend. And that's what I did all those years ago. It's so much therapy. I used to have to go and get drunk every Thursday night to deal with my therapy. Talking therapies didn't work for me. I'm like, oh, if I have to go and get drunk with the girls every Thursday night, I don't think this is working for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, it was about coming back home, having that revelation of the perfectionist and the rebel, the binge eater and the, and the one who wants to restrict and starve. Everyone's welcome to the table. These broken girls need my unconditional love and understanding. And I had, you know, still one of my best friends, Sarah. Like, what would Sezzy say to me right now? Okay, replace it, replace it. So take a super greens, purr, and talk to yourself like you would your best friend. That is such beautiful advice. I think we very little spend time talking to ourselves in this most incredible way. <laughs> we don't even look in the mirror and like, I love our body. I no. love what we look. It's always, my hair is too greasy, or <laughs> there's something wrong with my eyes, or I'm developing acne, or my skin isn't hydrated as much. I need to look better. I need to look like the person that I see online. Yeah, or my breasts are getting droopy, or, or my ass is too wobbly, right. or look at cellulite. my C-section cellulite. star, and you get the C-shelf, you know, so the cuts true. there, and even yesterday, the hamam with my friend, she's like, and I said, oh, yeah, we both got your C-shelf, you guys did a little thunk over the top, I had three, you know, we've had babies, we've got war wounds from yeah. the babies, what a blessing, it I mean, is. wow, I was told I couldn't have Those kids, and that she was able to pop out three babies, Absolutely. you know, so I think we can just start to love the wobbly bits. You know, most of the time our partners and husbands don't even see the wobbly bits. It's all us. Yes. <laughs> you know? It is. I, I believe, like, at the end of the day, men don't care about a lot of things women think they care about. <laughs> they think it's so cute. They if don't I get think too about skinny, that. my husband's like, you're getting too skinny. I want a bit of curves. Yes. You know? Men always want the opposite of what women think they, they want. They want the curves. They don't want the anorexic <laughs> girls. Believe me. But all Listen women, but the only reason why I think a lot of women are focused on trying to be as skinny as they can is because of what we see online. Because we're comparing ourselves to we're other women. Always comparing ourselves to supermodels. Yeah. To women that we're never going to live up to. <laughs> In that sense, anyway, we're not as tall. You know, we're different. Yeah. Our body type, our muscle mass. Yeah. Everything is just so different. So it's just this whole distorted perception on what we think we should be like as people. Yeah. Should. We should all burn the, burn should the should. And burn the hamster wheel. Burn the wheel. <laughs> burn the wheel. Get off the wheel. Like, why are we on this wheel? What are we running trying yeah, to be all things to all men? Burn the wheel. Like, get off. I mean, our poor little body, how can it heal if we're constantly in fight or flight? You cannot. Your immune system cannot. If you're stressing, oh, my gosh, you've got cancer. Well, pff, holy guacamole. If you're in fear and it's going to be a master and you stay on the wheel, how can your little body take a breath and how can it heal? So I just think, gosh, we just need to talk to ourselves like we would our best friend, give ourselves a break. 
Be kind, cheer each other on. If you don't have any good girls in your life, bin the ones you have and get some great totally, girlfriends. Totally. Who just cheer you on. And if you've got a spouse or a boyfriend who's ripping you to shreds and saying your ass looks totally. big in that, get rid of him too. <laughs> Suck a lemon, Larry. I'm out of here. <laughs> that is so well said and I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> I think that's really good. But uh, uh, touching on a point as the fact that you are this most incredible person, uh, an incredible nutritionist, a really successful practice, and also a longe- longevity expert. Mm. How do you approach the concept of food as medicine, and what are your thoughts on the importance of gut health? Well, if you don't, uh, I'm even writing a book on gut health at the moment. If you don't heal your gut, you can't heal your life. If you can't digest your emotions, you can't digest your food. I mean, we used to say you are what you eat. You are what you absorb. I don't care how organic. As I said, that's why, yes, the green juice for your inflammation. But if you don't have your head in the game, you're on the wheel, everything you eat will be causing inflammation. You won't absorb or you'll lovely go into organic food and cafe and you walk in and get everything organic. Love that place. But it's not going to work if you're just fermenting and putrefying, you know, with everything you eat. So I just think gut for me, adults and children, has to be, I used to say top five. It's got to be top three. Got to be top three. Yeah, I mean, if you're not absorbing, what the hell? If you don't look upstream, how in the heck can you start looking downstream? Totally. Nothing else is going to work. From delivery of nutrition into the mitochondria, your immune system can't heal. Your neurotransmitters, there's 90% of uh, serotonin receptors in the gut. You're going to be sad. You're going to be angry. You're going to be irritable. You're not going to be fun to be around. You're going to be a pickle. You're not going to like yourself. No one else will like you. You won't have many friends. Oh, and then don't think on the other side, with your hormones, with ghrelin and leptin, you're going to be hungry, always hungry, no off switch. Then you're going to feel bad because everyone's asleep at night and then you sneak down and raid the fridge and then you quickly replace the ice cream the next day so no one realises <laughs> it was me that ate the Ben and Jerry's. I'm just like, my gosh, you have to heal the gut. Otherwise, you won't have a healthy metabolism. You won't have a good relationship with food. Your parasites, candida and fungus will be overgrowing. You'll be full of cravings. Then you're angry. Your poor husband and spouse are going to cop it because you're not happy with yourself. You're going to bite everyone's head off. So mentally and physically, we need to have a good gut. And I think getting your head in the game and having a good gut are two top, the top twos. Thank you for saying that because I've been saying this for the longest time ever. <laughs> and to sit here and talk with someone who really talks my language is just so beautiful. <laughs> we're sister from another mystery. we are totally (laughs) now how do these experiences shape your perspective on life and your passion for helping others now you've gone through a pretty crazy whirlwind journey from eating disorders to domestic violence to then experiencing a a disease that some survive and others don't How has that affected your mental health? How has that impacted your ability to help others better? And where you are today in your life when it comes to being able to serve in a way that you've used these experiences to shape your practice better? I think because I never really struggled with depression, because I'm a suck it up, get on with it type of a personality. Beautiful. I didn't have much compassion if people were having a wobble. Like, I'm like, seven pillars, bish bash, in, out, come on. 
you know, so I was, a bit, I think, going through certain things and then understanding that all that trauma had, I was kind of more angry and irritable than depressed, but depression is inverted anger. So either way, same, same root, different fruit. I think that I've developed... Same root, different fruit. Love yeah. that. So either you're in the place of being depressed and anxious or you're in the place of being angry. But it's both trapped emotions which haven't been dealt with and able to be expressed. But they'll express hyperactivity and anger or you're down in the pit. So Either way, you're out of balance. During domestic violence and what you experienced from that, you obviously harbored a lot of anger yeah. inside. Oof. And do you think that Volcano. That, I can imagine. So do you think that has impacted a lot of your relationships after that or even just your professional life? Yeah, because I met a really nice boyfriend after that, and I put him through hell. <laughs> they Poor always, guy. they always get the hard end of the stick, right? It's like usually he wasn't that's a the bad case. person. He was such a nice person. Yeah, you know, he was older than me, and he was very unattractive. But I was going to marry him because you know we were put together by our families, and I just he was my best friend. So I was prepared to marry him only because I didn't want a husband. I, d- I didn't want anyone I was attracted to or anything like that. So the back pull. So I have apologized to him many times. So I did put him through the mill. But then I, and I also broke up with my husband seven times. He proposed and I broke up with him seven times. And I really wasn't trying to put Dirk through the mill as well. I told him I'm a pickle. I've got a lot of trucks. And I tried to set him up with all my girlfriends. Remember I told you it was about seven or eight yes, of my friends. I remember. I'm like, no, 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 I don't date me. remember the vision board. Yeah, the vision board. <laughs> With Elle McPherson on there. I'm yes. like, don't choose me. Choose Angie. Choose Shabo. Choose Sarah. Choose, you know, whatever. So it did shake me because I think my relationships, I did have one boyfriend after that. And I said, I, and I apologized to him, but I was really mean. And then Dirk. But then I, with Dirk, I, I'd, I'd already started when I met Dirk to do the work. And I, and I found my truth, you know, I found my spirituality. I'd already started to do a lot of inner child work and family constellations and trauma and blah, blah, blah. So I was, I was, in, I was in the midst. I hadn't done all of the work, but I was on the road. So, it's, so it did shape my relationships. But then in my clinical practice, it gave me a really strong ability as an empath to just love someone completely unconditionally and to get down in the pit and meet them where they are. I love that about you. I think when I met you, I just felt that energy already. Yeah. You are so in tune with other people's emotions. And, you know, I I am definitely an incredible judge of character and I can sense when someone is just a really good soul. Mm. And the moment that I met you, you just had, you just bloomed with that. And I think that's so beautiful. I think it comes from uh, getting healed and then loving all of my broken pieces. And even though I felt that those pieces were completely unlovable and could never be healed, so those girls felt like that. And then coming back and doing the work and then seeing them just, you know, those, those broken bits just healed again, then I think it does... Get, and then you can see where you're taking the patient... And I can already see her healed, see him healed. Beautiful. So I'm already just scooping them in. I often say I bring you into the nest and I heal you in the nest until you get your wingspan back and then we're going to get your eagle wings back. But I, and I don't keep my, my clients and my patients in the nest for very long. I want them in. I want you healed. But I want to put you back. You should, I should be coaching you, training you, 
as to how then to keep yourself well. You shouldn't need me forever. I think that's also a really good way of choosing a practitioner. Right. If you, they have clients for a long time, you kind of should run a mile. I wanted to ask you with the point that you're stating, that this, because everything that you've said, like it obviously puts into a point where listeners are super curious. Now, we're not going to list all of the points as to how you healed, but if there was one thing that you can advise someone going through a really traumatic experience right now, really down in the dumps, probably even really depressed yeah. and like suicidal thoughts sure. and, and going through some really terrible situations where they feel like there's nothing that can help them. Mm. What is the one healing modality that you can advise today that can just get people off the ground and love themselves again? Well, absolutely. I had suicidal fantasies. I used to dream about how I could kill myself, but I always felt I could never do that to my parents. Right. I was like, I really want it, but I can't. I really want it, but I can't. Yeah. So um, so I think, uh, I know we've touched on it before, but I invented those pillars because it they were literally stakes in the ground. In the middle of a tornado, it was like I was able to put stake in the ground and I had something to tether to. And seven can be overwhelming. So if you do the quiz, you've got three. And I personally knew I was struggling. I was doing the six and I knew I needed supplements. And, I, you know, you don't have to take supplements forever. But there are certain imbalances when it comes to your gut, when it comes to the gut-brain axis, when it comes to inflammation, when it comes to liver methylation. Certain things, if you just do it with diet alone... The results are too slow yeah, and you'll be right. suffering and you'll be in and out and up and down and two steps forward, one step back. So I do believe in whole food plant-based supplements because I'm all about the fast track. Right. I got yeah. sick of going around around the mulberry but bush. But isn't most people the same? Like they just want a fast fix to everything? Yeah, and I think that you know? we often maybe choose a fast fix. Like now everyone's doing the injections. I'm like, yes. well, the weight loss injections. I'm like, you know, I invented our blood sugar support capsules. They're like a herbal version of glucophage. Right. So, and also too with our other protocols we have, like if you're obese and you need the injection, fantastic. And for me, even if I ever have a patient using the injections, I start with microdosing, 0.501. Right. I don't go straight into sevens and tens. Right. I'm like, and I certainly don't say just call up your pharmacy and get delivery. <laughs> you know, if you have syndrome X and you have um, hyperinsulinism and you have hyperglycemia like I had, Absolutely, I need really strong blood sugar support. I invented my blood sugar support capsules because I didn't want to use glucophage and they worked. Right. But if they didn't work, I would have done glucophage. Right. So we're not saying no to drugs but and, I, and I'm not saying no to being fast. But why don't we just get your house in order, look at the seven, do the quiz, work out the three, do a quick one of our urine tests, work out what supplements you need right. and do all that. And then under the guidance of a practitioner or a doctor – um, work out to see whether you need the drugs. And if you do for a short time, or I've got so many patients at the moment who are on the on the injections, um, the weight loss injections, and they don't know how to get off. Right. And they're like, I sh- am I going to be here forever? Because they're terrified of gaining the weight back. Right. So we're weaning off hundreds of patients every month off the injection, helping you find your balance. You're not going to gain weight. We're going to reset your metabolism. We're going to you know boost you. So I think... You know, to answer your question, you still can do it fast with herbs, but we need supplementation. We can't just do it with diet alone, I feel. The world's too toxic. We're too toxic. And if you just do it with diet, the results are too slow. And then people do crazy decisions like buying at the pharmacy over the counter buying injections. But there's so much you can do in the middle and there's a space for injections. Absolutely. 
So but a little do what's right for you. So a little recap on that. I think you have mentioned and touched points that the importance of not just focusing on food alone and diet alone, because number one, we, we touched on the point of as well that you know we're very unique in the terms of identically in the ways different. Are, yes, we're identically different, but at the same time, you know, speaking to the right practitioner, yeah. really understanding where your biomarkers are, what's happening to you, yeah. you know, from a brain perspective, a gut perspective, your organs, where you are at, yeah. and really focusing on the right kind of supplements that can help you heal, because that can help expedite the process and getting you to a place of less suicidal thoughts, and depression, and toxic relationships. Yes. Um, now, as a mother of three beautiful children who are exceptionally talented in academics, in music, and sports, which I just found out, recently from you how did you heal from your past experiences that has helped you become a better parent today well definitely for sure um, one of the phrases we use on the school run or if I'm busy doing other things in the house and I'm waving them off and they're in the car often you'll see me in my in my pjs and I'm running on the street going you're perfect just as you are you're perfect just as you are and my kids are like oh mama but I'm like you're all unique and you're all wonderful and you all have different strengths and talents and I so I, I'm conscious of bringing out the gold in my children I'm constantly cheering them on even my Isabella my middle one messaged me today say okay mom it's been a month <sighs> enough <laughs> It's no fun without you here, you know, yella, yella. Because <laughs> I didn't have a job for so long. Like, yella, yella, mama, come on. You know, too long now, too so long now, So the generational now, curse has ended with you, right? Yeah. And you just didn't finito. want to bring that We're not over going, your children. Yeah, and my, my little one had the hyperglycemia, started getting really chubby, had no off switch with her eating. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Mimi. I'm like, sort that out. She's 10. <laughs> I'm like, nip that in the bud. Sorted her out. Got her on my blood sugar support capsules. You can take them now. We know from 10 and over. I thought it was 15 and over, but 10 and over. Um, and I sorted out her guard. She had all sorts of parasites and everything. She's not good washing, at her, hand, washing her hands and loves to lick her fingers after chocolate. That's her. So, yeah, we healed her gut. We um, helped with the blood sugar regulation. And now even she comes home from school with her lunch intact. And I'm like, Mimi, because I was just so busy with my friends, Mama. I didn't think about eating. So food, so then she comes home and we might give her a good meal. <laughs> but meaning that food's lost its power over her. But I could see that she had the same physiological makeup as me. Right. The other two That's are not important. foodies. She was. Right. And I could set her free. And yeah. I didn't even know that she'd become quite forlorn and quite maybe even depressed. I was telling you the other day that... She used to always skip and not walk. And now I see it. Dun, dun, la, she's skipping to the kitchen. Dun, dun, la, she's skipping off to a horse ride. I'm like, Mimi, you're skipping. And she goes, I'm just so happy, Mama. Oh, that's beautiful. I love my life. And then Bella's like, I love my life. <laughs> I was like, I love my life. And I'm like, what better gift could you give your kid than to actually feel comfortable in their own skin? Totally. They're all completely different. Um, but just to cheer them on. I did prayers over them every morning and night about letting go of the energy doesn't belong to them, right. bringing back the energy belongs to them. There's seven energy systems and the gold light and standing in there with God and being completely whole and healed. And now they do it themselves. I'm like, before I left this trip, I'm like, take me through the gold bubble prayer. And they're like, dun, la, la, let it go, it doesn't belong to me. Bring back my energy, I'm whole. I go to sleep and then I go to school, you know, because they're empaths. They're always, they're there. They've got kind of some of the gifts that I have. They're my children. For mothers who just 
don't know what to do at this stage because they haven't unpacked a lot of their trauma, but they're moms. Yeah. What's your one advice for a mom right now who really wants to unpack trauma and break that generational curse? Of over her or for her children? For her. For her. I just think when you think about the different sub-personalities we all have, you could even sit at a table like this and you need to welcome all of those parts. Everyone's welcome at the table. No one's banished to the cheap seats. My binge, who I always thought, she was the one that caused, am I allowed to be perfect without her? She's at the top of the table. She's or- she was a total orphan spirit. She was told she wasn't good enough. She was fat. She was ugly. She does not deserve to be at the table. So when I talk about the table, I talk about my life. There's space for her. So yeah, there's space to eat ice cream and pizza on the weekends. There's space to go out dancing and for me to have a couple of drinks on the weekend. It's you just accepting me. all the parts of you. Yeah. Instead of pretending that it's And why are we saying this part I don't this part is ugly, this part is not worthy, this right. part's not good enough. Just come home and it's just great say, advice. you know what? I'm gonna choose to love myself unconditionally. I'm gonna choose to talk to myself like my best friend. And I love that Hoponopono prayer. And you simply every time something rises up I'm sorry. Say to that part, which you're, you know, like pointing at, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. I love you. You will bring the healing of whoever caused the trauma. You will step in and be the mama bear and heal those parts of yourself. You'll never get it. I won't get it from the bad egg. I won't get it from someone else. I can heal my parts by stepping into that role and loving those parts into wellness. I love that. I'm sorry. Forgive Give me. me. Thank you. Thank you. And you pause a little bit and you wait for that part to, to say thank you and they say yes. I love you. That's amazing. So you just tap into those broken girls. Okay, who wants to overeat right now? Who's angry? Who wants to go out and get drunk? Who wants to kick the cat? Who wants to shout at the husband? We don't believe in kicking cats, by the way. But, you know, <laughs> who's, you know, who's volcanoing? Yeah. Okay, who is it? What's going on? And sometimes that inner broken part, particularly for childhood trauma, won't even have a voice. Just scoop her up, put her on your shoulders, go to the park, jump on a swing and swing with her, hold her close. (laughs) Buy a hula hoop. I often hula hoop with my younger self. So fun. Do you ever do hula hoop? I love hula hoop. I was so good at it in high school. I think we all need to do more skipping. I was so good at it in high school. Hula hooping, dancing, singing. We need to skip more. And I just think we get in touch. And then the men as well. Don't forget the guys. You know, husbands, partners. They need to skip. They do. They need to do a cartwheel. They do. They need to get their feet off yeah, on the Yeah, we earth. should just continue to have our childlike spirit, ch- right? Yeah, the, and the child life curiosity. Yes, which we lose over the years because you know, we're told to be different. encourage our husbands and spouses yeah. to play. Yeah. We do a lot right. of Uno at home. It's I hilarious. love Uno. We buy four to five I love packs and we Uno. put them all together. Our Uno's like a That's amazing. Mountain. I don't know anyone that's done that. That's really cool. Ah, we even have parties and people come over and because we just... You know, don't drink, you know, parties with people getting, you know, tipsy and drunk like in our 20s. You know, we're parents. So we have a couple of drinks or, you know, with all the kids, we don't really get out and, you know, get drunk or whatever. We do Uno. (laughs) (laughs) This has been such an incredible (laughs) podcast filled with such incredible nuggets, golden nuggets that people will take away and can start implementing in their life today. My final question for you before we wrap up this incredible session is how do you define longevity what are the aspects of human life do you think are most important to extend well i'm almost 51 i'll be 51 this august 
And for me, I love my biological age when I was 46, I think was 36, and now I'm almost 51, that's 34. So I'm all about... That's really good. Thank you. I'm, I'm getting younger as the years go by. <laughs> You're doing all the right things. I'm lengthening my telomeres. <laughs> uh, so for me, it's really about... Um, I'm now, like I did this mega transformer Pilates class with our, my friend Miriam Abadi on the weekend, and I'm like, hashtag reformer is not reformer. Meaning that I'm pushing myself, not so much in cardio, but I want to be strong. I want to be a fun granny. I want to be running around riding horses and doing cartwheels at the beach and surfing with my grandchildren. So now that I'm 51, even though my kids are only just coming into high school, I'm playing the long game. So for me, longevity is about having a body which can run hard and not grow weary. So it's about, like Elle encouraged me all those years ago, to get into nature, do different sports, try things. Um, so I'm doing, so I think for me, as I said, being strong. So the Pilates and the yoga, I think, is really important for a woman my age. And also um, having a good brain and just feeling free. I know what it's like to be trapped. I understand pain. I understand suffering. That's why we have so many free guides. We have my free blog, our urine tests are like 250 dirham. The quiz is free. I mean, we just allow the entry level to come in so we can help everybody, you know. So I think longevity for me is about you feeling comfortable in your own skin, coming home, being strong so you can, as I said, run hard and not grow weary and you can really, you know, live the rest of your days. And as a result, you'll have less wrinkles. Yeah, because you stress less. Yeah, and I don't have a huge skin routine. I mean, I did a mom yesterday, first time in two years. Uh, I'm not very good at having facials. I'm trying to get better. So I think, yes, we need to self-care, but I think if your heart has peace and you come home, and you befriend yourself, and you, yes, do the seven pillars, so you make sure that your um, mind, body is in balance, then you will be strong, and you'll be mentally and physically strong to be there for your children, to be there for your spouse, to be there for your friends, hopefully for grandchildren. So, so that's longevity, is peace, and feeling strong, and feeling well, you know, mentally Feeling well. Yeah. I love that. So you can just, you can thrive. Like, why do we just, I've done the surviving. I almost didn't make it. How he didn't kill me, it is a miracle. For sure, God knew me before I knew God. For sure, I had family or angels or God, whatever, looking out for me. So many times, I should have been dead. I'm a walking miracle. You are. You I really are, really, and that's I, I why I wanted... I'm still shocked that I got out of there alive. That's why I feel like your story is so important to share and for people to hear it because there's just so many people out there, men and women, who yeah. go through so many similar situations. Depending on the circumstances that they're in, they can't get out of it. They don't know of a way out. Yeah. They don't have the support system, the resources, sure. the opportunities even yeah. from a financial perspective, they're not surrounded by the right type of people. Yeah. So then they develop all these ways to not heal. Yeah. You know, these modalities of, of addiction and, and, and ways and of... victim. We and, all get and, stuck yes, in the and, victim and mode. Yes, and we, yeah. we, we get stuck in the, in the victim mentality. So I do believe that your story is super powerful. It's meant to be shared. And it's meant for people to take it, not just to listen to it but to really act upon it because yeah. it's life-changing and it can free you from disease yeah. and it can transform your life it can help you 
become a better friend, become a better person, become a better partner, become a better parent. Yeah. And I think your story is definitely something that I will take into my own life mm -hmm. because we're always learning every day and we're always looking for ways to become better, not just for ourselves, but also as a parent, as a friend, mm -hmm. and so on. And thank you so much for coming today and sharing your story with me. Mm -hmm. I believe that there's so many people out there who will look upon this uh, video and audio and implement changes that you have asked them to do because they're easily digestible for people to do today. Yeah. You know, so and I think also too, because when you're in a really dark place, one little thing, a takeaway that I just came into my mind when, uh, you know, when you're talking about people who are trapped, maybe don't have the support network and can't get out. So for now, they're in, they're stuck. They are. And there's no simple solution and maybe they're hanging on just for the kids to leave the home and I get that. So I didn't even have children with the bad eggs. So I, I, I understand if you're trapped and you can't get out right this minute. But one thing you can do is if you start with gratitude, even thank you that I have feet. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I was in such a broken place. Walking to the tube in London, I couldn't think of many things I could be grateful for because I was completely broken. I'm like, thank you that I have feet that can carry me to the tube every day to go to work. Thank you that my legs work. Thank you just absolutely the most. Thank you that I can breathe, you know, because I should be dead. But even if you just start to renew your mind, something like that. And many, many moons ago, who's now actually one of my mentors at uni, a lecturers at uni, Dr. Bruce Lipton, he wrote the book Biology of Belief. It's been around forever. But how every thought you have affects you at a cellular level. Even just reading something like that and you understand, okay, I'm stuck, I'm in this place. But while you're stuck, you can renew your mind and that costs you really nothing. And even though if you're in the middle of the trauma, start with the gratitude, even the most simple, okay, maybe this house isn't very big and I'm trapped, at least I'm in a house, and then at least I have feet, totally. I've got ears, okay, I've got teeth, I can swallow my digestive system, so even something so small, even so I encourage you to start there and maybe get access to something like that with Dr. Bruce Lipton so that you understand everything I think affects me at a sailor level, and then think about rewiring your brain and talking to yourself like you would a good friend even in the midst of a very dark place that can bring you some light and some hope gratefulness is such an underrated modality it's yeah. free it doesn't yeah. cost anything but people just don't do it because we're so hardwired into your cup is half empty inner critic yeah. being negative complaining all the time yeah. like why is my why is my life so bad yeah. instead of i can walk yeah i can breathe yeah that's unassisted. Incredible. I'm on the kidney dialysis machine. Absolutely. Just go and spend five, you know, five minutes or you know, an hour a week, some charitable institution, children's right. hospital. Right. Spend you'll a bit of time see. in there. And you'll understand. And you really give yourself an uppercut. Absolutely. I really I need to get your act together. Something as simple as that, I think, take you know, and I think that's the thing. We just get so inwardly focused of our own crapola. When we can just actually just think a little bit outside the box of someone else's suffering, I think that is just the best medicine. And as I said, when you, um, even just a basic book like uh, with Dr. Bruce, it's just something where you understand that that thought will either shut you down and put you on the hamster wheel or start to free you up. And we know with neuroplasticity and neuroscience, think it and feel it. Just 90 seconds. Think about the life you want to have Think it and feel it and hold it. 90 seconds is a long time to hold. It is. It. So think, think about your children, 
your relationship, your home, everything. You think it and you feel it and you think it and you feel it. And then you start to rewire and you will see, even if you have been a bit of a pickle with a relationship, you will see your whole inner world will change. And then your outer world will start to change. And maybe the relationship you're in, somehow there's a door and you can get out. Or somehow... He runs off with someone else. Woohoo! You know, whatever it is. <laughs> Maybe that's a blessing. You yeah, totally. Know, right? if, he's a, if he's a bad egg. <laughs> Jog on, brother. So I think it's, um, yeah, if we can just start to change our inner world, it will affect our outer world, even if you feel trapped right now. Have the gratitude if you think it and feel it. So to end the podcast, this beautiful podcast on gratefulness mm. and the fact that it's free and anyone can do it today, yep. please start doing it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please do like, share to anyone that you think is going through a really tough time right now because you could totally save their life and even yours. Mm. See you in the next episode.